Ephesians 4 and verse 7. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead us into the truth of your word today. We thank you that you use it to stir up our hearts in faith, to stir up the gifts and the callings that are on the inside of us so that we can see clearly today what it is that you've done and what it is that you are revealing and doing in the world today through the body of Christ, the church. And I thank you, Lord, that we'll see our part in it, uh, that you have given us a place in your plan, not because you had to, but because you chose to. And we thank you for this grace that has been given to each of us according to Christ's gift in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Now, the most beautiful thing you'll see today is probably that verse seven. Okay. That grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you'll remember, Paul had just finished talking about how big this thing is, that there's uh, one body into which we are called uh, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Big, big picture. And then he drills down even to each individual heart and says, now grace was given to each one of us. And the word grace means unmerited favor or an undeserved blessing. Loving kindness, merciful and undeserved. God's grace to bring us to the knowledge of and the saving faith in Christ Jesus, because we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, and he made us alive, and we didn't deserve that. That's why it's grace, and that grace to us becomes invaluable. And it says that grace has been given to each one of us, was given past tense to each one of us believers. We have it, and thankfully, it's according to the measure of Christ's gift. Thank God it's based on him and not me. What if it said grace has been given to you according to your beauty? (laughs) Grace has been given to you according to your riches. Grace has been given to you according to your successes and your accomplishments. Grace has been given to you according to the number of followers or subscribers you have on social media. Grace has been given to you according to your health, which means if any of those things aren't there, then what? I don't have it. What if grace was given to me according to my own holiness? That's a ew, right? That means I probably don't have any, but then it wouldn't be grace. It says the grace that is given to you was given according to or based on funded out of Christ's gift, the measure of Christ's 
gift. And we're going to see today, I hope you'll see today how large that is and how applicable it is even to somebody who's small like me. So the grace of God was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. Now, that little phrase right there in verse eight, when he says, for it says, he's quoting, referring to a verse in the Old Testament in the Psalms. Right. Okay. so when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. And if you only read this and you saw that in there, you would think, I do not know what that means. You talked about us getting grace, measure of Christ's gift. It says when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. And and, and so to see more, um, Paul is trying to give us a visual on how special what Christ did was and how momentous or how monumental the work of Christ Jesus is in our life. He's referring to a psalm that I think we need to go look at. And it's Psalm number 68. If you want to turn there, we're going to be there for just a minute or two. Because I want you to see what he was referring to. Because he only quotes one verse of it. But it's meant to refer our thoughts and our minds to the fullness of that psalm. Psalm 68. And what he quoted... was right down in here in verse 18. Psalm 68 in verse 18. And there it says, You ascended to the heights, taking away captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, so that the Lord God might dwell there. So what we get here, and what we'll see, and I'll show you as we break it out even more, is the image of a conquering warrior or a victorious king. Now, you may have noticed a little bit of a difference between 68, 18 and Ephesians 4 when he quotes it. Did anybody notice that? The difference between the two? We'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. To give us a fuller context on this picture of a conquering warrior, I'm gonna, I want to read just from the beginning of that psalm. You might have heard this part before. God arises and his enemies scatter. Those who hate him flee from his presence as smoke is blown away, so you blow them away. As wax melts before the fire, so the wicked are destroyed before God, but the righteous are glad. They rejoice before God and they celebrate with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, exalt him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord and celebrate before him. So this fuller context, this image, this picture of a conquering king, a king who has conquered an enemy, and we see it even further in verse 15 as we as we close in on the verse that Paul quoted here. When he says Mount Bashan is God's towering mountain. Mount Bashan is a mountain of many peaks. Why gaze with envy, you mountain peaks, 
at the mountain God desired for his abode. The Lord will dwell there forever. God's chariots are tens of thousands and thousands. The Lord is among them in the sanctuary as he was at Sinai. Verse 18, you ascended to the heights, taking away captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, so that the Lord might dwell there. So we get this mention of a mountain called Bashan. And it says it's God's towering mountain. Now in the Hebrew right there, not to get too nerdy on it, they don't give whether or not that's singular or plural. You build it out based on the context. So it could be read the Mount Bashan is the God's towering mountain or the mountain of the gods. What we know, what we've seen and uh, heard through all of the studies and all of the additional literature uh, that's available in history and, and so on and so forth, is that Mount Bashan was cemented as a place connected with evil, with rebellion, with darkness, and even with death. Hell and death, Mount Bashan. And it says... That it is God's towering mountain, because I mean, I believe He owns all of them. The cattle of a thousand hills, all the taters underneath, right, belong to Him. It's His mountain, but it had been given over to rebels and darkness and hellishness. And so we see this in here. And if you don't believe me, there we could go to Psalm 22. The Messianic Psalm where it talks about they pierced my hands, but none of my bones were broken. You know, where Jesus quoted on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. One of the verses in Psalm 22, verse 12 says, many bulls surround me. Strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me. Lions mauling and roaring. So again, when you see Bashan mentioned there, you need to think darkness, evil, hellishness, rebellion against God Almighty. Those that would seek to unseat him and seat themselves, that's Bashan. And it kind of fits in the context there when it says, why gaze with envy, you mountain peaks, at the mountain God desired for his Abode. What, what mountain did God desire for his abode? It mentions it right here, Mount Sinai. And I know you may be like, I don't know what you're talking about. We're going somewhere. Just hold on. Hang with me. But you see a contrast between Mount Bashan, the rulers of this world, and Mount Sinai, God Almighty. You see a contrast between the two of them. And again, seems to say that Bashan is looking enviously at Sinai, the mountain of God Almighty, what he has chosen as his dwelling place in the Exodus, where he came down and met with Moses and met with the people and gave them direction and the law. But again, the context of this psalm is God Almighty, a conquering warrior, defeats and destroys his enemies, including those on Mount. Bashan. 
And so that's the context we get in verse 18. You ascended to the heights, taking away captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, so that the Lord God might dwell there. Defeating the mountain of evil, the darkness, the death, and reestablishing his rulership over it. That sounds familiar. That's like our life. That's like our salvation. We were under or enslaved by sin and death and lesser powers. That's what we saw in Ephesians, right? And he made us alive, set us free, defeated them so that we could stand in his kingdom. Sounds like our life. Again, even more. Let us push on just a little bit more. I just want you to see this. Verse 19. We're going to read a few more there. Blessed be the Lord. Day after day, he bears our burdens. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. And escape from death belongs to the Lord, my Lord. Surely God crushes the heads of his enemies. That sounds like Genesis, doesn't it? When we're talking about that. The hairy brow of one who goes on in his guilty acts. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea so that your foot may wade in blood and your dog's tongues may have their share from the enemies. Now that sounds a little bit graphic, right? What's he saying? I'm going to bring them back from where? Bashan. The dark mountain. The place of evil. The place of hellishness. The refuge of the rebels. So he's bringing back two things. He's bringing back the defeated enemy and then he's also bringing back the captives or here us. And this is what Paul, Paul's pointing to this psalm in Ephesians chapter four, when he's talking about Jesus. He refers to verse 18, which again refers us to or puts us in mind of this whole psalm in its context. He does this talking about the grace we've received from God according to Christ's gift. But again, there's a distinct difference. When you read it in chapter four, where he quotes it and refers to it. And when you read it here, let's look at it again, because you might not have seen it the first time. In Psalms, it says you ascended to the heights, taking away captives. You received gifts from people. In Ephesians, it says when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. Do you see the difference? In Psalms. It's referring to the normal course of how things went. When you conquered an area, you got all their stuff. They had to give gifts to the conquering king because he's now their king. He's now their lord. He's now in charge of them. And so they would give him gifts in order to what? Grow in favor with him. So maybe I don't get killed in this thing. Maybe I get to survive. I'm one of the ones handing stuff over, not trying to fight him off and Paul tells it different about Jesus. He said he's a conquering king. Don't make any mistake, but he's not expecting or accepting gifts from you. He's giving gifts to the people. When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. The spoils of war are the conquering kings. By definition, they belong to him. 
Paul doesn't want us to just picture that about Jesus, but to know that this is what happened. Jesus conquered death and hell in the grave for us, but he didn't do it expecting gifts from us. He did it so he could give gifts to us. Look over. Hold on. He's really interested in pointing out what Christ did because it's necessary to take the next step. So if we look to Colossians chapter two, you don't have to turn there unless you want to. I'll read it. Colossians two and verse 13. And when you, that's me and you, were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Amen. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. That's our salvation. But again, it wasn't just us. Look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. He didn't just save us. He defeated the enemy that had us bound. That's what we see from Bashan. And just like back there when it said, I'm going to bring you back from Bashan so your feet can walk in their blood. Your dogs can eat at their remains. And again, that's very graphic. But what's it saying? You're going to walk over that which used to rule over you because of the victory that Christ has won because of the battle that he went to willingly to defeat them and rescue you and me. He conquered them and instead of requiring or demanding gifts from us in order to earn his favor, he gave gifts to us. We were slaves to sin the principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. And he was going to defeat them. Their defeat was sure and certain. They had set themselves against God Almighty. They were going to be defeated. The God of Psalm 68, the God who arises and his enemies are scattered. The one who stands up in front of them and they melt like wax. The ones who try to approach him and he just blows them away like smoke in the air. They're not, they're not able to stand against him. They were going to be Defeated, He was going to march out on Bashan and bring justice to the rebels against his throne. It was going to be lights out for them. He could have destroyed us with them. You realize that? He could have destroyed us as a part of that victory. He could have subjugated us the way that they had subjugated us. Chosen not to destroy us, be like, I'm going to make you wish you were dead. Why? Because you are and were the enemy. He could have been our new tyrant. That's what they were used to. That's what some of that language means. Well, this is the last guy that conquered me. He's awful to me. This guy beat him. He's worse. They went from one to another, one uh, bad king to another bad king, one tyrant to another tyrant. He could have been our next tyrant. 
But that's not what he does. That's not what he does. In Thessalonians, it says God didn't appoint us unto wrath or he chose not to pour out his anger on us, but to save us in Christ Jesus. He chose not to pour out his anger on us, but appointed us to salvation in Christ Jesus. He could have destroyed us along with them. He didn't. He could have subjugated us the way that they had subjugated us. He didn't. He chose not to pour out his anger on us, but to save us through Christ Jesus. He defeated them. Christ defeated them through his death, burial and resurrection. He defeated them, every power of darkness, every rebel to the throne. And they stand before him condemned and raging under the weight of their sentence. That is being carried out and will be finalized. In that, since we were with them, we were in them, that's who we were under the lordship of. He could have taken everything that we had. It was due him as the conquering king, as the conquering hero. Instead, he gave us everything he had. Do you see that? When he took them out, and he took them out, he could have taken everything that we had. But instead, he gave us everything that he had. This gracious gift that we saw in verse seven. Grace given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. Then you look at verse nine. He continues to talk about this. He, he, he gets caught up in it. He says, but what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth. Paul saying he ascended just like the conquering king would, would, would go to the top of the hill, would go to the enemy's stronghold after they had been defeated. And that's where he would set up in the strongest point. He said he ascended, but he wasn't from here. If he ascended, that means he first descended down to our lowly earth. So that 10, the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fit. This is important to fill all things. Christ's ascension. That we read about in the Gospels that we see at the beginning of the book of Acts was his victory parade. His triumph. That's when they used to ride into the city with the enemies in chains behind them. It was his victory parade ascending to the hill of the Lord. He was the conquering hero, but he wasn't from here. He first descended to the lowly parts of the earth so that he might destroy the power of sin and death and then ascend to the heavens so that he would fill all things. Christ's ascension wasn't him deserting the earth. Christ's ascension was him filling it with all of his fullness. Remember, because it said he ascended victorious and he gave gifts to man. He gave gifts to the people. 
Think about Acts 2. We went through the whole book of Acts. The Holy Spirit falls in Acts chapter 2, begins filling people, filling the church, dwelling with us, literally giving birth to the body of Christ. Christ has said you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you so that you can be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that he might fill all things. He ascended so that he could fill all things. Remember, Christ was incarnate. He was in flesh like us. Now, he had a glorified body after the resurrection, but he still would have only cast one shadow. Just like when he was walking around Jerusalem, walking around Judea, when he was in Galilee, sun shone on him, just one shadow. This is all the area I can take up. But when he ascended and the spirit began to once again dwell within us, dwell with us, dwell in us, the body of Christ began to proliferate all across the world. And now his shadow can cover the whole earth. The spirit filled, God changed, empowered church fills all of this area. It's Christ filling all things. Think about it like our body, right? Your heart somewhere right in here. And it fills your body with life. It pumps that lifeblood into every, I mean, down here to your fingernails, to, to your toes. Every part of you is fed by that. Christ, who is self-existent in his own life, he doesn't need us to exist. He feeds us and everything flows from him by the power of the spirit. It's the lifeblood and the mission of the church is to make sure that he continues to fill all things because he ascended, not taken from us, but giving to us gifts. What relationship with him, life with him, connection to him so that he would fill all things. And look what happened. Look, look what it talks about next. Some of the things. What, what, what did he give? Oh, he probably gave us something really awesome, didn't he? He gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So you see, what did he give us? He gave us the body of Christ. He gave us one another. He gave us a five-fold ministry that would be the first to break the ground, that would be the first to lay their yes down, that would be the first to say, we're here, that's where we're going, for what? The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. To continue to carry Christ into the uttermost parts of the earth. To see more people redeemed. To see more people restored. More areas reclaimed by Christ's victory. The church rests on and in Christ's victory and reinforces it. 
to the world. And just look at this picture. Look, look at what he's saying. That this would continue what? The equipping of the saints, the work of the ministry, the building up of the body of Christ until we all. All who has said before, Marty said that, you know what all means in the Greek? All. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son and we grow into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Until we grow into together an image that is worthy of being associated with him. Enforcing his victory, reclaiming turf right here on his earth. This is how he chose to do it. The church, empowered by the Spirit, growing to resemble the king who could have took, but instead he gave. He could, again, he could have taken everything that we had, but he gave instead of took. He wasn't like those that came before. You go through even the book of Genesis, the man and the woman did what? They took the fruit. Genesis 6 said even the, the, the angels, some, some of the sons of God, they took for themselves women. Took. Taking. It's not what Christ did. He could have taken. If anybody could have taken, it would have been him. But he gave. He gave. So in light of this, the fact that Christ is the victor, ascended, victorious, he gave gifts to men, to us, to his people, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, so that we would grow into Maturity. We would grow in number, but that we would also grow in maturity together. As a goal for this year, with this in mind, and you'll hear some of this as we gather tonight, as the guys will hear some of this uh, with the ladies. I think it's really neat. The Lord had put something on my heart that I've been thinking through, not something, you know, Especially profound, unusually simple. And he put the same thing on Kelly's heart. And she began to talk to me about it and it sounded exactly like what I had been hearing from him. That, that this year would be a year for us of, and this is the way he put it, because I was like, real good growth. Real good Growth, And I'm not necessarily talking about more people adding in number. That'll be fine. We'll take that. But real good growth. Because when we started the year, we asked the question, who wants to be closer to God at the end of this year than you are right now? And all of us raised our hand. We want that growth. And then what I've realized is it's going to have to be, both for me and from you, it's going to have to be real. Which means it's not... You're not pretending to be growing because sometimes we can feel like we need to do that. I pretend like I'm doing all right because that means I'm growing. 
It means being real and honest with one another, being, being humble enough to say, I need help. I need to talk about this. I need you to help me take this before the Lord. I need, I need an answer on this. I need a resolution to this being real. It, it's not about a, a, a show. It's not about a, a program. It's real growth. And I realize that that's the only way that that's going to happen is if we're real with one another. So real, good growth. Because as I got to thinking about it, you can grow in ways that aren't good. You can grow weary. You can grow cold. Right? Very few of those things, when you say growing, that, you, that, that I'm growing this, very few of them are good when we use that language. Right? I guess you can grow stronger. But again, to not grow in ways that aren't good. I was driving yesterday, again, thinking about this, thinking about tonight. I don't, I'm like Kemper, I don't, I don't take this stuff lightly. I don't. I mean, this is a real deal to me because I see how life and death it can be. You mean people are going to live or die? I, yes. Or they'll, they'll, they'll feel like they're dying. And the, the, the way I heard it, it, again, I'm just driving and thinking and, and preparing a few things, just technically trying to get some stuff together. And, and the Lord said, if what you're doing isn't working what you're wanting. Okay, you follow that? Then only one of two things can change. Or only, there's only two things that can change. If what you're doing isn't working what you're wanting, and I hear that over and over, I hear it. What I'm doing isn't working what I'm wanting. I'm not, what I'm doing isn't working what I'm wanting. Then you either have to change what you're working or you have to change what you're wanting. And if we're not allowing him to set that list for us, we're just going to mess it up. You may be wanting the wrong thing. James talks about that. You're asking, but you're asking amiss. You're asking for the wrong things, thinking it's going to fix you, help you, sustain you. Maybe you need to change what you're wanting. Or maybe you need to change what you're working. Either way, he's the only one that can line that out. And how does he do it? We just saw it. He gave gifts to men. What's the gift? The body of Christ. That we would come together that we would be for one another a help in this life, a refuge in this life, that we would grow together in unity and maturity until we measure up to the Savior. So again, a year of real good growth because we are called to grow up in Christ. One and all, that's what we're called to. There's no way you can read that and think anything else. There's no way you can read that and think, yeah, but I mean, I want a little bit of it, but I don't, you know, I'm just going to leave the rest of it off. Mm-mm. He does not give you that ability. We are called in Christ to grow up. One, individually, and all. Together. So that everybody can see who he is. 
Not so we can build up something for ourselves that we can point to and go, look what I did. Isn't that awesome? Everybody clap for me. No. So everybody can see who he is and what he's done and what he will do in their life. That's the way that the world changes. This is the way he outlined it. This is the way he wanted to do it. Otherwise, he'd still be here holding court in different parts of the world. He'd go different places, just like he went different places in Judea. He'd be going all over, just telling people his own self. But that's not the way he chose to do it, which tells me that he thinks that this way is better. Because it's the way he chose to do it. So again, real good growth. And it's going to take a commitment from me personally, pastorally, to lay my yes down and say, I'm going to do that. And it's going to take that from you. And you cannot do it. It's easier not to. It will be easier not to. But it won't be good. It won't be better. You'll end up at the end of this year saying that same thing. What I'm doing isn't working what I'm wanting. If what I'm doing isn't working what I'm wanting, I have to go to him and go, all right, you either have to change what I'm wanting or change what I'm working because something's got to change. And if we don't go to him and it's not coming from him, it's not going to end up well, is it? Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says he ascended on high here victorious over death, hell and the grave. Freedom from death, it said in Psalms, belongs to him. He ascended victorious and he took the captives captive. That means he chained up the enemy. They can't do what they used to do. That don't mean they're not doing stuff. But it's different than it was before Christ came up out of the grave. And he gave gifts to people. And what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? There were people that were saying he didn't even come. Paul's trying to set them straight. The one who descended, the one who came down to fight for us is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. For him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes growth of the body for building up itself in love, 
by the proper working of each individual part. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for our conquering King. Thank you for King Jesus. That he came down, he descended to this lowly earth. There were enemies that needed to be defeated. They were our masters. And he defeated them and in defeating them could have eradicated us. I thank you that he didn't. He came and went to the cross so that he could defeat them and also simultaneously save us. He could have avoided the cross, defeated them and cleared us out too. Blank slate, start over. But that's not what he does. Because he had made a promise. And I thank you that you always keep your promises. I thank you that he ascended victorious, high above all the heavens. There's, there's nobody who has claim above him. And instead of taking from us, he gave to us. Gave us a chance to be with him. To have a relationship with him, to have our sins forgiven, our iniquities cleansed, our trespasses removed from us as far as the east is from the west. But gave to us a gift of being together in the body, of putting it on the hearts and minds of men and women to, to not stop seeking the unity of the body. That the saints would continue to be equipped that began in the book of Acts 2,000 years ago and it continues today for the work of the ministry that we would grow up into your image so that our shadow looks like your shadow. So that our words sound like your words. Our actions look like your actions and all of it glorifies you, our Father in heaven, so that more would be redeemed, more would be restored, that your victory that was won at Calvary and solidified when you came out of the grave for your victory parade to ascend to heaven, that that victory would be made real in their life, that they're still living under the old master when the new master has come. And I thank you, Lord, that as we commit our attention to you, our affection to you, our energy and our time to you this year, that we will have real good growth. That we won't grow in the ways that aren't good for us, but we'll grow in the ways till we look more like you. And it's going to have to, we're going to have to be real with one another. We're going to have to commit to you and to each other. We're going to have to trust. And I thank you that you've given us the ability to do that. God, I thank you for where we're going this year, for what you've laid out there. God, I thank you that we're going to find more peace. I thank you that we're going to find more joy because we're going to know you more than we knew you yesterday. You weren't unknown to us, but you're going to be more known to us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. As we get ready to go, I thank you that we leave in peace and unity with one another. God, protect us. Keep us safe. Be with those who are out from among us. Bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon us. Give us peace. I thank you that everything we do, everything we do, would be worship to you. I thank you that you cleanse us, you strengthen us, and you stand us up, one and all. 
growing in you. And it's going to be a beautiful sight. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.